following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. We said today that we are going to define the word Hosanna. There's only one way we can do that, and we have to get political. We've said this before. I don't know if you've ever heard the cliche. There's, there's anything you shouldn't bring up in the company of friends. It's religion and politics, right? And yet here comes the king. The king of all kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the mighty God, riding into town on a donkey. This was not lost on the teachers of the law, the religious people who were supposed to have known the scriptures and to be able to see what was happening. Oh, they saw what was happening all right. They saw that their rule was at an end. See, I did, I did weave a little Star Wars in there. But, but their rule was at an end. And their time was over because the true ruler had arrived. And the question for you and me is, well, what's he going to do? And see, here's my question, guys. What does it mean that Jesus is the king on Tuesday morning at 1130 when you're stuck at a stoplight or the car's out of gas and you can't pay your rent? I want to know when that, what the king means then. That's because that's what you and I are faced with. That's what you, you, you and I face with you know, what we like to affectionately call real life. This is certainly real life. But how does it connect to our real lives? This is our question, and it's so important. We begin in verse 12, Matthew 21, verse 12. We're going to put these words on the screen, zoom in, and study them because they're so important for us. So he gets in. They've all announced Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the highest, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and, the, and all those people are all ticked off. And he comes into the temple area and he begins flipping the tables. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. I'm going to tell you a real story. So I'm like 10 years old and my, and I don't know exactly, somewhere in there, and my Cub Scouts that I was a part of were doing a fundraiser, as Cub Scouts often do. And we were raising funds and we came in and we asked the pastor could we, do a, could we put the little t- thing on the table so that people would know to participate? And he was like, sure, that's great. And then these, these really, I'm sure, well-meaning people came and they were like, you can't do that because you're going to turn it into a house, of, a den of robbers. You know, you can't sell things in the church. Is that what was going on here? Is it was just because they were doing money? Can you never talk about money in the church? Last I checked, most churches pass the plate. We don't, but we do have a box. So can you not have money in the... Is that... No, guys. This is the first glimpse we see of what kind of king we're dealing with. He's the king of righteousness and justice. You need to know the story of the money changers. You need to know what was going on with these people who were selling the doves. So if you were someone who was seeking the face of God in that year, in that time, and in that place, you would spend a significant portion of your entire wealth, or lack thereof, to get to Jerusalem, if you, were, if you didn't live there, and most of, most of the people who attended there didn't live there, you would spend all your money and all your time to get there, and then you would have to spend more money to get the sacrifices because you can't exactly necessarily travel with them when you bring them. Some people could, but not everyone could. Most couldn't. And so there were these people sort of in the outer courts that were there to solve that problem for you and to make a little bit of money, you know? Because, I mean... I mean, we all know one of the best money-making schemes in the history of the world is religion, right? It's like those guys on TV, you know, we need a plane. 
we need a plane so that we can fly to the faraway lands and take the gospel, you know, and all these things. And they're like, so you need to give another thousand dollars, even though you've given everything you had. It's the same thing. That's what they were doing. In order to give your sacrifice, in order to be right with God, we'll 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 trans we'll help you get your money into the right format, and we'll make some money there, and then we'll sell you the doves at fifty times the price so that you can make a sacrifice, though you can't afford any of it. And so Jesus comes in. And he sees these people whose hearts are seeking after God. And he sees people in their way making it bone-crushingly hard to do. And he flips their tables. My house is a house of prayer. Not a place where there's oppression. Not a place where some people take advantage of other people. And guys, i got to be honest with you. I know many of us have grown up in church, and we all think the church, that church in general, is one of the best places we could ever go, don't we? Probably not. Because none of us have ever experienced yucky stuff in the church, have you? Except all of us, probably. If you haven't, let's have coffee after worship and talk about it. I want to hear. Most of us experience church, we have church experiences which are filled with people doing terrible things, taking advantage of, of those who are seeking God's face. Because when we are seeking Him, we are in need. We need Him. We need Him to help us. Hosanna means, please save us now. That's what it means. And so Jesus, He's like, okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to get rid of this nonsense. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. No more oppression in this building. Take a look at verse 13. He says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, it's so important we understand that in in the time and the place of Jesus, I don't know if you guys knew this, they didn't have iPads or or iPhones or or Android or whatever. They, They didn't have chapters and verses in their Bible. And so the way you would refer to a chapter or a verse is the highlighted teaching from that. You know, like we might say something like this, we might, and I worked very hard on this, Anthony, so catch it. We might say, hey, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, I saw the stuff about the rise of Skywalker. You know, and people are like, oh, wow. You know, and, if, and you're like sitting there, I don't know what that is. Just move along, it's fine. But the idea is we have a one phrase that represents an entire culture, which Anthony and I are really into, by the way. And so, and so whatever that might be for you, you might be able to say, well, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I was tying flies. You didn't just mean you were sitting there. You're talking about the whole enterprise of fly fishing and what that might look like. You know, during certain types and times of the year, you're like, oh, I was in the dugout. You know, see what I'm saying? I'm just giving you one little phrase, but it represents so much more. That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is saying, in, in a language we might use, he's saying, I'll tell you what my house is. My house is Isaiah 56, but you've made it Jeremiah chapter 7. Whoa, what's Jeremiah chapter 7? I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look. Well, we're going to first of all look at Isaiah 56 because we, we read that, but I want to make sure we're all on board with it. Isaiah 56 He's quoting this and he says, he's, and, I, and I'm summarizing the, the previous verses in those brackets, outsiders, those foreigners, those people who didn't belong here, they will be accepted at my altar, says the Lord. For my house will be called a house of prayer. For who? That's very implicit in Jesus' language. He is including that here for us to consider. Everyone is welcome. Have you ever been to a church where they said that, but you didn't really feel it. 
What if I told you when I went to seminary, the first time I went to chapel, I didn't feel very welcome there? Because everyone was what, I, what you, we would call high church, right? And this is where you know how to do all the little things and you have the super secret handshakes. and Well, maybe not handshakes, but that's how it felt to me. And you had to know when to stand and when to sit. I help you with that here. It just means all the time, right? We just do it all the time. But, but you had to know all the things and then you had to know how to do the certain, you know, and you had to do this and you had to do, it was this dude swinging incense and I was like, what's that? You know, and all those kinds of things. And guys, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're beautiful. They're wonderful expressions of worship that come from Scripture. They're saying, hey, in the book of Revelation, there's all this incense. We should, like, bring that into the worship service so people could... And then they didn't think about allergies, and that was a whole other problem. But the whole deal, you see what's going on, is there's nothing wrong with those things, but when I felt like I had to know what those things were and I didn't know them, I felt like I was an outsider. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room who has felt that going to a church. And sometimes that's a cultural thing. Like one time I got to run sound at a congregation in Springfield and, and their style of worship was different than what I had grown up with. I had grown up with, and some of you guys, I told you guys we were going to get a little rowdy here today, and some of you guys are like, that's not very rowdy. And I understand that. But for us, we got it's baby steps, right? We're making our progress. But, but for them, so I go in and uh, the buddy who had said, hey, I need you to run sound there, he said, now, when you go there, he goes, there's going to be this gal, and you just need to do whatever she says. She'll tell you how to do it. I'm like, okay. So I get there, and, you know, I'd been trained on this equipment, and I knew what the speakers could handle, and everything was going on. And so I put the sound at, at maximum of what the equipment can handle. And she came back, and she said, honey, you need to understand something. That's not loud enough. And I said, but, but if I run it a little bit harder, if I run the sound hotter, it might blow the speakers. And she just put her hand on mine, which was on the mains, and just shoved it as far as it would go. I was, it was a different culture than what I, but I was still welcome. And she made, went out of her way to make sure that I knew that. You see, you can go into a place where they worship different than you do, but they're out, they've got their hands like this versus like this. And that is what is going on when we talk about a house of prayer. Because what's interesting is that house, if we're supposed to focus on the building and here, praise and worship, that's a topic of discussion. But if we're supposed to focus on the building, then we miss the point because that house is gone. It's been torn as Jesus predicted it would be. Not one stone will be left upon the other because he is the temple and now we dwell in him and we are the house of prayer. Imagine a house that gathers in one place and then scatters all over the place, taking that power of his, his power in our bodies all the places we could go. Take a look at Jeremiah 7, verses 6 to 11. This isn't going to be a political statement at all, right? Do not oppress the immigrant, the orphan, or the widow, trusting in deceptive words, making this a den of robbers. And we summarized it because he kind of, he kind of says it over and over again, which wouldn't fit on one screen. But you see what's going on. See, and it gets hard. It gets tricky. Because you're like, but if all the immigrants come in, they'll take all our jobs and they'll, and they'll ruin the country and everything. So let's build walls and make the other people pay for it and do all those kinds of things. And, or maybe you're of the opinion, no, no, we should let them all come in. And then your neighbor's like, but we shouldn't. And then what happens is we listen to cable news instead of Jesus, instead of the Lord God Almighty, who says, let me tell you how to handle immigrants. Let me tell you how to handle people who are in a bad position. And we look at those people, well, if they hadn't done this, if they hadn't quit their job, if they hadn't gotten into drugs, if they hadn't, if they hadn't, and we, we develop our own source of system of justice, and it, and it gets very frustrating, and then we just, without ever intending to, just like we saw in the Bible Project video where the guy just sort of steps 
on the other people, and their, their system goes, their place goes down, and ours goes up, even when we don't mean to. Do not oppress these people. Whose people are they? My house will be a house of prayer for only the good people? Oh, that's not what it says. All the people, all the nations. And you've got to understand, when they say all the nations, in, in, in Isaiah 56, that's all the goyim, you know, and among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, goyim, kind of, yeah, you've got to say goyim, you know, it's like those guys, right? And Jesus is like, no, that's who's here. Because you want to know something, guys? And I know some of you guys might be, you know, have Abraham as one of your descendants. But most of us probably don't. And even if you did, it doesn't matter. Because when we talk about the nations, we're talking about the people in this room. Yes, the people out there, but all the people. You and I are the ones crying out Hosanna on Tuesday morning when we can't pay the rent. Are we not? You and I are the ones who are crying out Hosanna when we're in a situation where there's a sickness and we don't know what to do. I was crying out Hosanna yesterday because I was thinking, because the devil was in my car and he was saying to me, it's, everything's going to be a mess tomorrow and it won't work. Please save us now. That's what Hosanna means. And you and I, I bet we pray that on a regular basis in some form or fashion. And you know why we pray it? Because of the king. A king of righteousness who sought to give his righteousness to you and to me. Not because of anything you and I would do, but because of everything he came to Jerusalem to do. A king who would take what he has and give it to us. A king of justice. He is Hosanna in the highest. And what did Hosanna in the highest, what did this Lord in the highest do with his high power? He ascended the high throne of the cross. A Roman execution rack. We were talking about that last night at the grind. You know, it's, we, we, we think of the cross as this beautiful piece of jewelry, and Barry was kind of helping us, leading us in that. And one of the things he said was so cool is, he said, what, what would it look like if you had, like, if you had a necklace on it and had a, an electric chair on it? Would you wear that necklace? Would you wear a necklace with one of those tables where they inject the guys on death row? And that, and that sound, it just immediately, we're all like, ooh, that's just, what, why are you bringing this up? Because the cross was the place they nailed Jesus to. And it was the most humiliating, excruciating. The word excruciating comes from the Greek word cross. Form of punishment that there was available at that time. And that is what Jesus did with all of his authority and all of his status. He brought himself down for you and for me. Now look at Matthew 21, verse 14. So important. We cry out, save us now. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Those people were not welcome at the temple. He's like, that's my people. I'm here to help them. And look at what he did. We're going to jump right into verse 15. Because he, he, says, he says, but when the religious leaders, Matthew says, by the power of the Spirit, when the religious leaders saw the wonderful things he did, God is doing wonderful things. Jesus is here. He's doing wonderful things. And they were mad. Of course, was it, were they mad because of the wonderful things he did or because the children were shouting, right? We all get mad when the children shout. I, I know that. But the thing is, is, it was what they were shouting. They were calling him the son of David. Oh the, oh, the scandal of it all. They were indignant. They were indignant. Matthew 21, verse 16, which also includes Psalm 8, verse 2. They were like, do you hear this? He was like, yep. And I guess, I mean, I'm interpreting here. Matthew doesn't record that he had a big grin from ear to ear, but I guarantee you he did. I'm just convinced of it, right? 
He's like, yeah, you know, this is Cheshire cat, cat grin. That's what he had. Haven't you read the Bible, he says to the Bible teachers? Haven't you read the Bible, Psalm 8, where it says, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like we have to defend God, and I understand that. There's a whole discipline of teaching called apologetics, which means to defend our faith. And this is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We should be prepared to always give an answer to those who ask us for the hope that we have within us. That's a great thing to do. But we don't have to defend God. We don't have to like get on his like defense attorney team and say, oh, but God's good and here's why and all these things. Sometimes we have to have those conversations, but he'll be all right. Trust me. He's the king. The challenge we have putting our trust in him. And there's two parts of that that we need to think about. He brings up children here. And see, we, as grown-ups, and those children in the room, you guys, are the, you guys are the smart ones right now, let's just be clear. The adults, we get really messed up. We get confused. We think we've got to figure everything out. We've got to have the logic. We've got to have our philosophy. We've got to have all our ducks in a row, and then we can sort of maybe kind of understand. Jesus, over and over again, is like, bring the children to me for such, for because to such belong the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus said. And see, what happens is they were crying out, Hosanna, save us, save us, king, save us now. And they didn't know where he was from. They didn't know anything about him. They just believed, right? And that's what I hope that you would do when you hear these words. Jesus came to Jerusalem for you. For you on Tuesday morning at 1130 when you can't pay the rent. For you, on Wednesday afternoon, when you and your spouse are at it again and she or he has said that thing that she or he always says and it just gets you. Like they, they know how to push your buttons because they installed them. right? You know how that works. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're trying to cultivate a relationship and you've gone out with this person once or twice and they're just blowing you off. Or maybe you're on social media again. May the Lord have mercy. Or whatever it might be. Do you see what we're doing here? Do you see what we're saying here? Be a little kid at that moment. Be a little kid at that moment. And remember this word, Hosanna. Save me now, Lord. Save me now. I ain't got nothing. And then remember this promise. When he rode into Jerusalem, he didn't do it just for the house of the nations. He did it for the house of the nations. All y'all. Oh, I did that. It's supposed to be y'all. I didn't do that right. All y'all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Call on His name every day, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And know that when He did all of these things, He did it for you, He did it for me, He did it for all people. And so that when we feel like we have to step on somebody's neck to get somewhere, just dial that back and say, Hosanna, I'm sorry. Please save me now and help me save that person because that's why He came. He came to set us free so that we might participate with him in his kingdom. And his kingdom has a simple purpose, to make everything right once and for all. Can we pray about that? Please pray with me. Father, continue to teach us this word, Hosanna. Teach us to cry it out, not just on Palm Sunday, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every other day. Teach us that these words that we've heard about how you came to save us are true. 
When those words hit our hearts, let us believe them by the power of your Spirit and set us free to taste and see that you are good. Lord, we pray all of this in the mighty name of your Son, our Lord Jesus, the King, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.